I love that slow clap tradition you guys have. I think, I think you need to follow me around in my life. Like when I went to the DMV and they called my number, if you were there to clap me up, I think it would just be a much more enjoyable experience. <clears throat> this last summer, I, well, actually, I always enjoy being with you guys. I, it's a great privilege to get to speak to you. Um, this last summer, I got to check off of my uh, bucket list uh, something. I flew to Southern California and where I rented a Mustang convertible. There it is. Um, and I drove the full length of Highway 1 up the coast, the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, it was an awesome experience. I, I'd always told people, you know, I want to do this trip, and I want to just do it in a convertible. And I don't care what kind of convertible it is. It could be an old 1977 beat-up uh, Volkswagen Rabbit convertible. I don't care. I just want the open-air experience. So when I got to the airport and I went up to the counter to get my car, the guy there behind the counter said, oh, hello, Mr. Miller. We have your Volkswagen Bug convertible for you. Or for a little bit more, you could have this really fast red convertible Mustang. It took me about 2.3 seconds <laughs> to realize, okay, I really do care a little bit about the car. Give me the red Mustang. It was an amazing trip. Um, I, about two, 800 miles in six days. And, and everywhere I went, it was just gorgeous. I would go around a corner and I would say, that is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen in my life. And then I would drive around the next corner and I'd say, no, I was wrong back there. This is the most beautiful thing I have seen in all my life. I just loved it. And I kept the top down almost every mile of the way. There's a couple points at which I put it up. You can ask me afterwards when those were. <clears throat> it was an incredible road trip. Um, I loved every part of it. And I had special playlists of music, you know, kind of road music. I don't know if you've ever done a road trip and you, you just have to have your music with you. When I ran out of those tracks, and I'd heard them three or four times each, I decided, well, I'll switch to some podcasts. I actually listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, some of the podcasts that I listen to are just straight interview shows. You know, they're, they're interviewing celebrities, um, you know, musicians, comedians, actors, um, movie directors, you know, all those kind of people. I just think it's really interesting to hear people talk about their work, talk about their life. I've told some of you this before, but um, I have this sort of rating system for the people that I listen to that are being interviewed um, based on how interesting they are to me. The lowest level, level one people, one star people, are what I call like view at a distance people. Like if I were in the airport and I saw that person, because they're really, they don't come across as that interesting or that nice, I would just kind of go, oh, there's that famous person over there. That's about all I'm going to do. I'm not getting close to them. The next level up are what I would call like hello and a handshake people. Those are people that I go, well, they're, they're kind of nice. I would like to like say I met them. So I might go up and shake their hand, say, hey, um, you know, I like your work. But that would be about it. The three-star people are what I call dinner people. Those are people that I think they are so funny and interesting and have great stories. I would love to go to a nice restaurant and just hang out with them for like three hours and eat nachos and hear their stories. It would be, that would be super cool for me. But the highest level, the four-star people, are what I call road trip people. Those are the people when I'm listening to them, I go, I love this person. This person is so fun and interesting. I would love to just like 
get in a car with them and head off across the country, you know, stopping at Cracker Barrels and taking little side trips to see the world's largest bratwurst or whatever, you know, just hearing their stories and laughing. That would just be amazing to me. Those are the four-star people, those road trip people. Um, as when I listen to interviews with those people, I, I realize that they have kind of an interesting influence over me. I'll be like laughing and listening to their stories and super excited about what they're saying. And then they'll start talking maybe about, I don't know, something like parenting or how we ought to relate to each other as people or maybe the nature of God. And I'm going, yeah, yeah. And then I realize, no, no, that what they're saying right there is not, not true. That, that part's not, not accurate. I mean, I like them so much that I'm kind of predisposed to believe and to agree with the things that they're saying. But, you know, the reality is that they're not right about that. I would still love to get in a convertible Mustang and go on a road trip with them. But they're not right about everything. Nobody's right about everything except for God. God is right about everything. When Paul asked me a couple months ago if I would speak tonight, and he said that the topic that you guys are going through is God is blank, fill in the blank. The very first thing that came to my mind was God is right. God is right. Um, what I want to share with you tonight are just some basic reasons why I believe that you can trust that God is right. Right about what you say, right about everything. Um, I want to give you some reasons why when you hear God's perspective on something, you can absolutely trust that he's correct. Why, can, why you can trust God. So in general, what is it that makes us believe that anyone is right? What is it that makes someone a trustworthy source of truth for us? I think that there are four main things that we need in order to trust that somebody's right about something. The first thing that we need is to trust that this individual has the right experience. That's your first fill in the blank if you want to do that one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Does someone have the experience that they need in order for us to believe that they're right? You know, if I'm wondering what's wrong with my car, it's not, it's acting up, and I'm wondering what's wrong with my car, the person diagnosing it, I, I want them to have experience with cars. Hopefully a Toyota Yaris, which is what I drive. And what I found is that the more important that decision is for me, the important that topic is, the more experience I really want them to have. You know, if I'm in a plane, or if you're in a plane and you're going on your first um, skydiving adventure and you're flying up to 10,000 feet, you do not want your instructor leaning over saying, thanks for taking a chance on me. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos about this. That is not what you want to hear at that moment. You want to know that that person has jumped thousands of times and done it well. Um, you want the experience. If it's important to me, I want them to have the right kind of experience. So what kind of experience does God have? The Bible tells us that God is eternal. He has always been. Now, in my limited uh, IQ, I cannot wrap my brain around that. It just I can't wrap my brain around it, but it is the truth about God. God is eternal. That's what the Bible teaches us. Um, he has always been and always will be. He also is everywhere, everywhere at the same time. Um, there is not a place that God is not. 
If you got on a spaceship and you flew to Mars, as some people are planning to do in the near future, when they get off that spaceship, God will be there waiting for them. He's already there. God is everywhere. The term that we use is omnipresent. Now, if you put those two things together, God is eternal and God is omnipresent, that means that there is nothing that God hasn't experienced. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2 says, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to the end, you are God. God has experienced everything, everything that was and is to come. If you've, have you ever wondered what a, a T-Rex really looks like? Not the one that we see Steven Spielberg shows us in the Jurassic Park movies. Those are cool. But have you ever imagined what it would be like to stand there and see a real T-Rex right in front of you? God could tell you. He's seen it. Have you ever wondered maybe what, what was Shakespeare's first poem like when he first said, hey, that sounds cool, and said it out loud? God could recite that for you. Have you ever wondered what it looks like on the far side of the universe? God sees that clearly. Maybe you're wondering, what's the very last episode of, um, I just blanked on my, my, the title of it, the very, of, oh, Game of Thrones. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> what's the very last episode of Game of Thrones? Spoiler alert, God could tell you he's seen it already. There is nothing that God doesn't see clearly. He is omnipresent, and he is eternal. He has always been. Now, when you hear that someone has been around a very long time, you have to be careful because it's easy to slip into a bias that we have, uh, and that, that we have sort of some misconceptions sometimes about people who've been around a long time. There's a video I want to show you that kind of illustrates that. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. On Disney! That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Manita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. 
It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. I, I think that's hilarious. Um, it's, it's funny because it plays on our ideas about the elderly, many of which are, are kind of true sometimes. I mean, every generation has understood that our grandparents know about some things, but there are probably things that they're kind of clueless about. You know, new technology, pop culture, new trends, you know, modern things. They just really don't get. The thing that we need to understand about God, though, is that although God is, um, is eternal and ancient, he is not diminished in any way. There is no movie quote that you could make that God would not get. There is no cutting edge indie band that God doesn't know their entire song catalog. God understands how your iPhone works way, way better than you do. He knows about all the Easter eggs that are in there. Um, God is ancient, but he is not old the way that we think about it sometimes. Um, God has the experiential knowledge that we expect of someone who's right. <clears throat> Which leads me to the next thing that we expect of someone who is right about something. That is that we have to trust their intelligence. For us to trust that someone's right about things, we need to know that not only do they have the experience, but that they, they're also smart, that there's some intelligence to them. Um, it's hard for us to believe someone who is right about something if we don't believe that they're intelligent. The people that we trust to be right are often people who have knowledge, who are able to solve problems, who get the right answers on tests, who are just stinking smart people. Those are the people we, we think are, are people who are right. Um, the Bible tells us that God is infinitely smart. Um, Stephen Hawking was a cognitive kindergartner next to God. Uh, Elon Musk is an intellectual dimwit compared to God. Um, the term that the, we, we use about God's knowledge is that, that of omniscience. God is all-knowing. There is nothing that God does not know. Psalm 147 tells us that he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Um, there was an Australian study a while back that put put the number of the, the stars in the visible universe at 70,000 million, million, million. That's the number 70 followed by 22 zeros. That means that there are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on all of the beaches and deserts in the world, according to this study. The psalmist tells us that God has named them all. You know, God's intelligence is really beyond measure. Uh, we don't have to doubt that. One way that we judge somebody's knowledge oftentimes is does it check out with science and research? Is there an independent source that, that confirms that what this person is saying is right? 
And I would tell you that God's wisdom passes that test again and again and again. Um, I want to just give you a couple, uh, a small example of that. When you look at the Bible and what it tells us about how you and I as human beings ought to live, um, we get the picture that God's model for human life is that a man and woman would uh, not have sex with each other. They would wait until they made a public commitment of marriage. And then at that time, they would have sex with each other, and they would have sex only with each other and stay married throughout their life until one of them died. Um, that was God's plan as he laid it out. Now, as you can tell, as we look around, we can see that humans have often not stuck to that script. They have broken that chain at many places along the way. But does the plan that God originally laid out um, make sense? What does current research say about the wisdom of God's original plan as he laid it out? First, what about waiting to have sex with someone until after you're married? Does research indicate that that's a good choice? Well, if your goal is to be happy in life, um, then when you look at current brain research, I would say absolutely yes. Um, the New York Times best-selling book, The Compass of Pleasure by David J. Linden, <clears throat> excuse me, examines what research has to say about how our brains experience pleasure and, and really lasting satisfaction. Um, it looks at it in a number of ways. Um, when it looks at, at what happens when we have a sexual encounter with someone, what it shows us is that, that uh, there's this really complicated uh, chemistry of, of uh, chemicals that, that are released in our brain including dopamine, and there are different pleasure receptors, followed by a, a healthy dose of oxytocin. And this amazing concoction, combination of chemicals, um, does a couple things. Number one, it feels really, really good. That's kind of an obvious one. The other thing that it does that is less understood is that um, what it, it says is that afterwards, in particular, it makes us feel more open and trusting towards that person that we've just had sex with. In some ways, it kind of chemically bonds us to that person. We feel emotionally and socially connected with that individual. When they study it, it's very similar in some ways to what happens in a parent's brain when they view their newborn child. There's a sense of, I belong to you in some mysterious chemical way. We are connected in some way. Now, if we're following God's plan as he laid it out, what happens is we've used wisdom to determine a really good match for ourselves. We found someone who fits together as a really good match, a perfect match for us to spend our life with. And then after we're married, we experience each other sexually, and all of that biochemistry works wonderfully. It draws us into a, a relationship of trust and love and commitment with this really good match, this person that wisdom has brought us together with. We now are feeling much more connected with them and, and bonded to them. But if we jump the gun and have sex with someone before we get married, well then, we greatly complicate the situation. We experience all of that chemical bonding, that sense of openness and trust and, 
and a connection with that person. And they may not be a good match for us at all. You know, over the years, I've experienced different couples that are obviously not a good match for each other. I mean, everyone around them sees that they are just not a good fit for each other at all. They are making each other miserable. And everybody's thinking, why are they still together? They can't let go of each other. What I've found invariably is that those couples have been sexually involved at a very early point in their relationship. <clears throat> and now they just can't seem to let go. You know, the guy is saying, I know she's a pain in the butt, but, but I love her. You know, love's crazy sometimes. And, you know, the woman's saying, I know he makes me cry like all the time, but, but he can be so sweet sometimes. And they just cannot let go. Now, I really believe that if they had not been intimate physically way early in their relationship, probably by the third date, they would have looked at each other and said, you know what, this just isn't working out, right? You know, you get it, right? They would have shake, shook hands, said, have a nice life, and gone on their way with no pain or suffering. But because they jumped the gun, and they now are feeling this, this sense of belonging to each other, um, physically, they, they suffer emotionally in terrible ways. You know, the biochemistry that was supposed to be this amazing blessing is now acting as almost as a curse in their life. Now, I know that, that that biochemistry that God designed, we can do all kinds of things to tweak it and bend it in bad ways. You know, if we choose to have many, many sexual partners, you know, we're not going to feel bonded to all of those people. But Unfortunately, if we short circuit that system, we run the risk that, that maybe we'll never be able to feel bonded to anybody in that way. Maybe we'll never be able to experience that joy. And that's a terrible thing. Also, broken heart, it breaks my heart, but when someone has been sexually abused by others, I know that it takes time and uh, support and uh, compassion uh, for that part of our, our chemistry to work again, to, to work properly. Um, but it can heal. I'll tell you that it can heal. Uh, but God's plan, as it was originally laid out, it works. There's wisdom. And, and current research would support that. Current research would say, would support the contention that waiting to have sex with someone before, until you get married, is completely consistent with the idea of having lasting relational happiness. So now, what about after we get married? What about the God's plan that we stay married until we die, one of us dies? <clears throat> what does research have to say about that? Does it support that that's a path to happiness? Absolutely, yes. Um, Dan Gilbert is a psychology professor. At the next slide, if you want to jump up there. Psychology professor at um, Harvard. And he did a study about irrevocable decisions. In the study, they brought um, students in and created a photography course. They had them all work for a long time, learning how to use some really high-end um, photographic equipment uh, and to take really nice pictures. They didn't get to keep any of their pictures, though. It was all just in-class kind of assignments. At the end of the course, they gave them two really beautiful prints of the two pictures, two, their two best pictures that they had. Um, and they told the students that they could keep one of them, and the other one was going to be donated to the university. 
Well, this was terrible because they wanted to keep them both. It's, they're both my favorite pictures. To half the students, they told them, tell you what, pick whichever one you want, and at any time, you can come back and swap it. If you want to trade A for B or B for A, don't worry about it. Just bring it back, tell us, we'll trade it out with you. You can do that forever. The other half of the students, they said, choose really wisely because this is a permanent decision. The other picture that you donate is going to be shipped off to England. You'll never be able to see it again. So make sure you choose wisely. So they did this, and then they followed up with those people to see about how happy they were with the decision that they made. And what they found is that the people who made the irrevocable decision, the one they couldn't change their mind about, were way, way happier with their decision. What, what research shows is that when we make an irrevocable decision, when we really believe that this is a permanent choice, um, our brain sets to work accepting that and actually celebrating it. Once something is gone and gone forever from us, um, our brain works in a way trying to figure out that how what it got is really a lot better than the thing that went away. But when this decision is changeable, when you can remake it and revisit it and change your mind at any time, what they found is that people were much, much less happy with the choice that they'd made. Now, this is just one example, but there's a lot of research that supports this same idea. When we believe that we've made an irrevocable decision, we are much more content with that decision than when we believe we can change our mind at any time. I think this has amazing implications for marriage um, and how we view it. When people enter into a marriage and they really believe that, that it is irrevocable, that till death do us part means till death do us part, what they do is they set themselves up for a much happier life. What, what research would say is that they actually find themselves um, being much more satisfied with their spouse. On the contrary, when, when someone feels like they could bail out on this at any time, that there's this escape hatch of divorce, and in fact, I've got my hand resting on the handle as we're going through life, those people are much less happy in their relationships. Um, it's not just that they would use that, that escape hatch more. That's definitely true. But they are actually less happy with their spouse. Having their hand on that handle, in a sense, makes them notice all of the problems that their spouse has, all of the shortcomings and weaknesses. Where by contrast, if you believe that you really are kind of stuck with this person, all of a sudden, you start to notice all the good things about them, the strengths that they have, and you, you're more invested in that relationship. Um, when we make a decision that is permanent, uh, we are much more likely to be happy. Um, Dan Gilbert is, to my knowledge, isn't a Christian, but after he completed this study, he went home and proposed to his longtime live-in girlfriend. Um, and, and this is his quote. He said, and guess what? I was utterly right. I love her so much more now that we're married, now that I can't get out of this relationship no matter how hard I run. She is the love of my life. And I didn't realize that when I was always thinking, should I stay or shouldn't I stay? There's a lot to say about making commitments. So God's vision for life checks out with modern brain research, modern research in how we relate uh, in life. 
His plan to have us wait until we are married to have sex and then to stay married until one person dies is supported as an intrinsically right path to happiness. That's what research says. God understood from the very beginning how he made us, and, and, and cutting-edge research supports that wisdom again and again. God has the intelligence we require to, to know that he's right. 1 Peter 1.24 says, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The third thing that we need in order to believe that someone is right um, has to do with their character. Now, we might think, sure, this person has great experience, and sure, they're intelligent, so they probably know what is right, but are they lying to me? Maybe they're lying to me. Do they have an ulterior motive to tell me something false? That's actually a reasonable question, because study after study shows that we experience lies all the time. A lot, a huge percentage of people lie quite often. Now, they don't lie in huge ways. Those are pretty rare. But a lot of people lie a little bit in compromising kind of ways. Um, it's interesting, as a school psychologist, I give a couple different questionnaires to people. And it's their kind of personality and how people are experiencing life. Um, and there are, are built-in questions that are supposed to be kind of like lie detectors to see if people are faking good or faking bad. And one of those questions is often something like, true or false, I have never told a lie. If, as humans, if someone says, I have never lied before, we absolutely know that that person is lying at that moment. It's kind of ironic. That's true of people, but it's not true of God. Um, God always tells the truth. Um, God is the pure essence of truth. This is what the Bible tells us about God's character. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And then in, in verse um, 17, he says, if I can get the page turned, um, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Titus 1.2 says, God who does not lie. And in John 14.6, Jesus tells us that I am the way and the truth. The message of the Bible is that God is light and truth and that his character is the opposite of lies and falsehood. He's set apart from all others and that he only speaks the truth. He has the character needed to be right. The final thing that for me that I need in order to trust that someone is right in what they say is that I most often need to trust their relationship to me. I say, okay, this person has the right experience, they've got the right intelligence, and they have good character, but, but in cases where it's about something that matters to me, I need to know that, that I can trust that this person has my best interest in mind. You know, do I trust their relationship to me? To ultimately come to that place where we really believe deep down that someone is right about something, we need to know that they have our back, you know, that we can trust them. They're going to choose to help us and not to harm us. The Bible tells us that God loves you. No one's told you that today, I'm telling you. God loves you. 
Psalm 139 tells us that when you were in your mother's womb, God saw you. He was a part of that process. He was there. While before you were born, God had a plan for your life. He knows and loves you better than anyone has ever known and loved you. When you look at um, Matthew 10.30, it tells us that even the hairs on your head are numbered in God's heart. He loves you that much. Now, you, like everyone throughout history, have blown it. Um, there are times when you have uh, chosen to be selfish. You've chosen to hurt people, to hurt yourself. Um, and because of that, that sin has, has separated you in some way from from the, the eternal and perfect God. But God loved you so much that he wouldn't let that be. And he sent his son to die so that you might have forgiveness, a new life in, in him. He loves you that much. Jesus told a story to illustrate that love. It was a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And at the end of the day, he found that one of those sheep was missing. And he uh, he didn't just say, oh, well, I've got 99 left. No, he put those 99 in a safe place. And then he set out risking everything in the danger of the night. And he searched and he searched and he searched until he found that little sheep. And he brought that one safely home. That's how much God loves you. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. God loves you. You can trust him. When he shares his perspective with you, it's out of a heart for love, of love for you. I want you to uh, do a, a mind experiment with me. I want you to think, imagine for a minute that you're walking down a, a long corridor with lots and lots of doors. No one is around, just you. And as you come down the hall, you turn to your right, and there's a door, and on it you see this sign. Keep out. This means you. Now, if you're like most people, you're probably going to think, huh, I wonder what's in there. Probably something pretty cool. Maybe candy or something that that guy wants to keep to himself. Who is that guy to tell me not to go in that door? You probably look around and maybe just try the knob. I'm not going in. I'm just trying. Then if it's open, you open the door, look in, maybe keep your feet back but maybe you go in. Now imagine that you're going down the same hallway, um, and then all of a sudden, you, on the left, you come to a door that has this sign on it. Caution, radiation area, keep out. Now your response is very different. You stand there for a second and you say, no way am I going in there. I saw a movie where there was radiation poisoning and it was really ugly. In fact, I am not even standing here anymore. I am moving on down the hallway. Two signs telling us essentially the same thing, keep out. But our response is very different. Um, why is it different? 
It's because with one, we don't trust the sign maker's relationship to us. But with the other, we do. We trust their relationship to us. In the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve and really the difficult and sad story of all of us throughout history has been that we have thought that God's commands for us were like this. But in reality, they were always like this. We sadly believe that God was trying to boss us around, trying to keep us from something good when he was really trying to help us, to protect us, to keep us from suffering needlessly, to lead us to love and happiness. His commands are an expression of his immense love for you. When you discover God's perspective on something, you can trust that he's right. He checks off all the prerequisites. We can trust his experience. We can trust his intelligence. We can trust his character. We can trust his relationship to us. We can trust that God is right. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your love, for your kindness to us. God, we are so thankful that you have had such an amazing compassion on each of us. Father, that you've known each of these people that are here tonight um, since we were conceived, and that you've been a part of that process, and that you love us. We're so grateful for that. Father, we're glad that, that you call us to joy. Help us, Father, as we discover and learn about your perspective on things. Help us to remember that your desire for us is what is best for us, that it's shared out of love. We thank you, God, for tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.